Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I'm so thankful that all of you are here. Um, I've mentioned a couple of times in conversations today, I'm also thankful um, for everyone who does sound, um, you know, Dylan, whoever's doing slides, that is such a stressful job. If you've never done slides, that's, man, is that stress. And so I'm, I'm so appreciative of everybody who participates, the worship team. These are all things I can't do, and the ones I can do, I, I try to get out of because they're very stressful. I'd rather just come up here and talk, right? So yeah, so excited this morning. And so let me start by asking a question this morning. Uh, who is your favorite artist? Who is your favorite artist? Any artist? <laughs> yeah, who, I mean, who comes to mind? Uh, maybe a painter like Van Gogh for a lot of people. Um, poets like Walt Whitman or Essie uh, Schuller. You know, maybe Volbeat or the Beatles for musicians, or Giada, if you like cooking, right? How many of us would say Jesus is their favorite artist? Right? You know, I, I, you know and if you say, no, I've never said that, yeah, that's it, okay. And you know, I love asking this question. I love asking people, you know, who their favorite artists are because I get to know a little bit about the way you think, uh, where your heart is at, and... You know, again, nobody says Jesus, and I, I, I get it because, look, Jesus is awesome. Like, Jesus is the king, the shepherd, our friend, our savior, right, our God. And so it, when we consider Jesus, I mean, there's so many elements of the person of Jesus that could, we could spend a lifetime on any one, you know, characteristic or, or role that he plays in our life. And to be honest, I don't think a lot of us take time to consider the fact that Jesus was, in fact, an artist, Everything came into existence because of Jesus, as we will see this morning. Now, to be fair, this week was a little different. Um, in Bakersfield, at least for me, like, this week was beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, like, blue skies. I found out this week we have mountains around us. Man, it, it was just like a surprise after being here a couple of weeks. And, of course, the orange, you know, sunrises and sunsets have been incredible. Now, you may have noticed as a fan of whatever artist you are that often your life in many ways, whether it's what's in your heart or the way you think, you form some of your identity from who your favorite artists are, you know, even the way we look. You know, we see this often with younger generations who are into music, you know, and they adapt a whole entire style around the artist that they follow. Sometimes the followers of artists are almost like a cult, Right? You know, just think of a band like the Grateful Dead. What are the Grateful Dead fans called? Deadheads, right? Deadheads, this, this cult of followers. And if someone says they're a deadhead or if somebody looks like a deadhead, we, we make assumptions, don't we? Because like there's all, like, like there's this personality and there's an identity in following an artist that really, it comes through in the way we think and the way we speak. Now, I am not a fan of the dead, but I am a fan of the life. And this morning, we're going to look at the greatest artist of all time, the creator of everything seen and unseen, who is even still creating this morning, if you would believe it or not. 
And what separates him from all other artists is the fact that he loves us more than we could ever love him because we are his creation, right? Like we're his art. And so this morning, as we look at John 1, 3, we're going to see Jesus as the creator. So let me pray for us before we get into the text this morning. Lord God, you are awesome. And again, we love to sing your praises and... um, like those in heaven, Lord. We could spend eternity singing your praises. Um, But today, Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and show us another aspect, Lord, of of what makes you awesome. And that is just creation itself, which we take for granted that we woke up existing, but we did um, solely because of you, Lord. And so we're so thankful for that, Lord. Just uh, yeah, preach a better sermon than me today, Holy Spirit. And may you be honored and blessed by our love for you, Lord. Amen. So recap from last week, we started our series on John chapter 1 called Jesus Is, and we looked at verses 1 and 2, and we saw that Jesus is presented, revealed as the logos, right? The word, the reason, the force behind all of existence, and it says that Jesus was from the very beginning, right? The word was and was with God and is God, so Jesus is God, right? Just, you know, very almost redundantly forcing it home. God, God, God. You need to know that the Word is God. And so this morning, we're going to come from all of eternity into existence. And this is going to get kind of nerdy for the next little bit here. We're going to come into existence, into creation, the reality that we know as created creatures. It's going to be awesome. And you may ask yourself, after verses 1 and 2, okay, if the Word is God, what God-like abilities does God have? And we don't have to wait very long because all we have to do is start reading verse 3, which is where we're going to be this morning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So all creation comes through him. The word is the agent, the artist of all creation. What part of creation? Everything, all things, right? So what does this mean, though? What does this mean? What kind of discussion are we going to have here? And so I thought, just starting off very nerdy this morning, I wanted to look at three errors that are commonly made when we look at this verse. When we read verse 3, what can we refute? What ideas out there that really contradict reading this verse? And what we see is we see a lot of uh, controversy and conflict, you know, whether it's creation or Jesus or the physical world. So I want to look at those three elements and refute them. And so the first is that the origin of the universe is an accident, that the origin of the universe is accidental. So most of those who are lost out there, who aren't Christian, who don't know Christ, this is the worldview that they have, that all of this, our existence this morning is a celestial accident. All we are is evolved cosmic slime. How does that make you feel? And so there are two theories that really push this, that really push this into most people's worldview. And I'm not going to talk about aliens. Um, whole other thing. You can watch Ancient Aliens for that one. But the first thing that I want to talk about this morning is the Big Bang Theory. Because this is an absolute contradiction to that. And so when people talk about the Big Bang Theory, and why don't we believe in that? Well, John 1.3 is why we don't believe in that. So what is the Big Bang Theory? It's the idea that all physical reality that we know it was an uncaused event. You had nothing, right? Nothing. And then nothing comes along 
and causes an explosion. And out of this explosion, everything comes. Nothing times nothing equals everything. Not only does it equal everything, it's in perfect order. It's in perfect order. Now, if you've ever seen an explosion, it's chaos, right? Things get destroyed, not created. So there's no reasonable way we could say nothing makes nothing explode into everything and that everything has a perfect order to it. But yet this is what's taught in most of our public schools. You know, this is what, as a parent, I've had to answer questions about. Is this really what happened? You know, and also at the same time, we notice in our schools so much depression, right? And, and people, you know, kids, teenagers thinking that, you know, life doesn't have much meaning. Well, it's because you're teaching that life doesn't have much meaning. If the Big Bang is true and this is all an accident, what meaning should I take out of that? I'm an accident? Congratulations for me? No. And so this unscientific, unreasonable theory, it's actually pretty new. It only came along in 1931. And, you know, it's been almost 100 years, and it's still a theory for a reason. There's no scientist out there that can prove this on any level. <clears throat> the second accidental origin theory taught more in college, in our colleges, and I've had classes, a professor seriously look me in the eye and tell me this, is that we come from primordial soup. You guys ever heard of that? You guys like soup? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just, so it's this theory. So the earth is uh, millions of billions, you know, of years old, right? It's just so old, and we won't talk about how that's not hydrodynamically possible or all the other laws that breaks, but um, the fact that there was earth and there was a bowl of soup, right? Or, you know, a river or an ocean, something that just a body of water that had a bunch of elements in it. Had all, all, all of our periodic table is in this, this body of water. And for some reason, um, some have speculated that an asteroid hit, which is sort of the, the scientific uh, explanation for everything, an asteroid hit, then, then, then stuff happened, right? So an asteroid hits the, this soup, this bowl of soup, and not only does it spill everywhere, it spills and then evolves into everything that we know as existence today. So essentially today, we are just croutons, right? On that bowl of soup that's evolved out of this. You know, and of course, even if you believe that, and as silly as it sounds, that actually sounds more probable than the Big Bang Theory. But then you have to deal with questions like, okay, well, where did Earth come from? Where did the universe come from? Where did the elements come from? Like, what is liquid? You know, what's an asteroid? Where did the asteroid come from? Where did the information for existence come from? Where did the evolutionary mechanism come from to push all this forward? And so it's just completely nonsensical. You know, not only, do I, not only is that our biblical conviction um, in John 1, 3, that everything came from God, that everything was created, if we're being very honest and we're not biased, it only, it's the only explanation that makes sense. Like, somebody smart made this. I mean, somebody had to have known what they were doing to live in this world that we live in. And so the second error that we refute in verse 3 is that Jesus was created. And this one is huge. And this isn't a dispute, you know, you know, in schools. This is a dispute in churches amongst people who believe that the Bible is the Word of God and they believe that Jesus was created. But we see in this text, already in verse 3, again, it's almost redundant, like word after word, is, was, with, this is God. 
and then creation. From this creation. The word who was before creation then created. I, you know, it, it's difficult. I want to show a lot of grace. I'm trying here. Um, when, when we read words like this and we come to different conclusions about whether Jesus was created or if he existed and then created. I think it's very clear here and we'll see in other verses. And yet for hundreds of years as the Christian church, we've literally killed each other, like historically killed each other over this idea, whether Jesus was created or not. Is he God or not? Is he a little God, possibly? And so about the year 325 A.D., uh, we got together, a bunch of dudes smarter than me, and wrote the Nicene Creed. And so this morning, as the Christian church, most Orthodox Christian churches, Reformed churches, churches like Five Stones would agree with the Nicene Creed, which says, <clears throat> I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. So Jesus was not created, right? Jesus was not like made. He was generated from the Father, if we can comprehend that. He is not a creature. Jesus is the creator of all things. Now, Matthew Barrett, who I quoted last week because I'm reading a very thick book on the Trinity by him, um, he said this, Eternal generation does not undermine the Son as co-eternal and co-equal. Eternal generation safeguards the Son as co-eternal and co-equal. Only if he is eternally begotten from the Father's essence is he wholly divine. Yet there's many churches in the world today who are growing, I mean growing, highly successful churches, even in our community, who would say that Jesus is a creation. You know, some say that Jesus is just, you know, remember the archangel, Michael, from, the, from, from Luke? And they say, you know what? He hooked up with Mary, and when he was born out of Mary, he was Jesus, there are also those who believe that Jesus is not God, that Jesus is the son of God and his wife, whose brother is Satan. So not only is Jesus taken from divinity, but Satan is raised up to be an equal with Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I know many people from those faiths that are super wonderful, cool people. My intent this morning is just to say, like we talked about last week, at some point we have to draw a line in the theological sand and say this is where we stand theologically. We love you as our neighbor. We love you as a creation of the word, but we disagree with you theologically. And we would do that this morning by saying Jesus is God and Jesus is the creator. Verse 3, again, overemphasizes this fact. It says, all things were made through him, and then for no reason at all, just repeats it to hammer it home. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Like there's existence, there's those who existed and didn't exist and were created. And this line is drawn here twice. So what's at stake? Like what does it matter if we get this wrong? Well, if we believe that Jesus is not God and that Jesus is just a created being, we're breaking uh, the first two commandments. Right? We break the first two commandments if we don't believe this. In Exodus 23, uh, verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, it says this, 
The Lord says, you shall serve, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So very much is at stake. We're talking about God being very jealous and angry of us. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, if the word isn't God, then Man, we are just meeting every week and just God is not pleased with our beliefs. And the third error that verse 3 refutes is that the material world is bad. Now, I don't think any of you go around thinking, oh, yeah, material world, oh, I hate it, you know. No, but uh, for the original readers of this text and the generations right afterwards, this was a huge deal coming from Greek thought that very much like spiritual, philosophical, all this stuff is awesome, and it is. But then they made the mistake of saying anything below that, anything I could touch, anything in physical reality is bad. It's corrupted. Nothing good can come from that. We just want to live in the world of thoughts. This also broke into the church, and that's why I mention it. So we had what were known as Gnostics. And so Gnostics believed the same thing, uh, spiritual good, uh, physical bad. And in some sense, what the Gnostics did, it seems like a good idea. Like, so th this community of Gnostics <clears throat> would completely take themselves out of, of community. They would take themselves out of the city. They take themselves out of the world to live almost a monk-like existence, to just get away and concentrate on spiritual things. And again, it sounds not that bad, but it's still not true. It's still not true. Because we see in verse 3 here that the Word created everything. And the Word is Jesus. And the Word is God. And when God created everything, what did He say after He created everything? Like, it's good. Like, this is really good. I am pleased with the way this turned out. He didn't create the physical world and say, oh, not as good or corrupted. So this idea is bad. Has sin corrupted God's original creation? Yes. Is the physical world bad? No, not at all. I mean, I like things like oxygen and gravity and food, right? These are all things we just take for granted that are part of the physical world that are blessings that Romans 1 says point to a creator. You know, we've seen this all throughout history. All throughout humans, throughout history, have all believed in God, have had some sort of creation story, Right? Because they know, just look around. Oh my gosh, this is not an accident. It's not possible. Now, I said a moment ago, like Gnosticism doesn't sound all that bad. But here's the problem when you go down that route. And, and we still do this today. I think even in our lives sometimes, when we become so spiritual, so detached, that we believe that we are somehow more spiritual. We are better than everybody else. Right? We study more than anybody and so what the Gnostics did is they got to the point where they just believed that they were the only ones who understood truth. And so they had special revelation because they were so spiritually mature. And so they were wrong. So let us move forward from here and let's talk about what we can know about creation through the Word. What was created? What did Jesus, the Word, create? All things, right? All things. Now, thankfully, you know, I, I, 
probably thought too much about this. Um, why use the, the term all things here? Well, for one, if you start listing things like hey, God created the puppies and clouds and all this stuff, then all of a sudden the Bible becomes millions of books long, right? I mean, just because he created everything. So yeah, I'm glad that it says all things. Secondly, let's say that list is made, and all, there's a list of things that were made. All of a sudden, someone comes along and says, hey, this one thing isn't there. Must not have been made by God, so there must be another creator. So I'm very comfortable now with the fact um, that it says all things. Oops. So for, uh, in this verse, because it's so general, because it says all things, and like what are we going to talk about, all things, I want to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It's a little more specific. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So again, we have somebody else here saying, Jesus created all things. The same word again, right? Everything was created. And like me, when you say all things, you probably have a good idea of what that means. Okay, I, okay, all things. And yet in this verse, it talks about things that I didn't think about when I thought about what all things could possibly mean. The first being that not only was earth created, which is what I think we think about, all things that we can comprehend in the universe that we know, but that heaven was created. Isn't that interesting? At some point, like there wasn't heaven in all of eternity and God created this place with these cool-looking, um, often scary angels. You know, we have this emerald throne I can't wait to see someday. Um, yeah, sea of glass. All these amazing things were brought into creation by the word Jesus. Now, what we see in this verse is also that there's visible, right? We see the visible, what can be seen. And you know, we talk about, when we talk about our favorite artists, if I was asking you, who's your favorite artist? And you said, if I wasn't familiar, I'd say, what did they do? Like, what movie are they in? What song do they sing? What have they done? Tell me about your artist to see, you know, if I'm familiar with that work. And yet, if you opened your eyes this morning, you are familiar with this artist, right? Everything you have seen and touched and smelt is a result of this artist, the word, you know, and of course, in the afternoons and evenings, the sunsets and stars, you're just like, man, what, what an amazing piece of art, you know. And then, how do we look at this? How do we look at and perceive the world, right? We do it through our eyes, which are these highly functional, right, functional, complex lenses that feed information into our brains. Our brains are insane computers, right? Like even, like medicine, we don't even understand like concussions and stuff, our brains are so insanely complicated and computer-like, right? It's just mind-blowing. You know, we're kept alive by these hearts that are just extremely powerful engine, right? Pumping blood through our body. And so what an amazing, not this, this artist Jesus is also an amazing engineer. And yet, even though his creation is amazingly functional, it's also beautiful, most people say, who, who don't believe in God, that beauty really, A, could possibly not exist, but that, there, there's, that there's no reason for it. 
There's no reason for beauty if an artist didn't create creation. It serves no function. And for that reason, I do believe, like in Romans 1, when it points to God, is just the fact that things are, are beautiful for no reason and smell awesome for no reason. We have taste buds, right? Praise God. All these beautiful things that just are, that point to the fact we have a creator who's an awesome artist. Now, a couple of years back, I was writing a paper in a, in a science class and in a secular uh, college. I was writing a paper about scientists getting together who believed in God. Scientists who believe in God. And I was like, what, why are they getting together as scientists to do this? Because at least at that time, out of every profession, aside from, from clergy, um, I, I'd say obviously or hopefully, um, out of every profession, scientists, natural scientists, have the most faith in God. And, and they had this, this get-together, and they determined it's because, as scientists, they get to focus on the complexity and simplicity of creation. Things that work together that shouldn't make sense, that shouldn't hold together, let alone understand each other and communicate. Like medical doctors, the human body, I mean, there's still things that we know happen and we can diagnose, but we don't know why they happen. You know, these, these bodies are miracles, and also medical doctors, you know, there's a reason that we have chaplains in hospitals because for some reason there's these spiritual people that it, it can actually heal people, right? People can get better sooner through this spiritual aspect. Then you have scientists, right, who look at the periodic table. We all familiar with the periodic table? So yeah, that is the palette of God. I mean, that is the palette of God. When God created the universe, he held up that table and just drew and created everything out of that. And so scientists have said there's no rational way that in any one single element could exist, let alone know that elements, other elements exist somehow and form bonds with them, right? Form bonds with them and communicate with each other. It shouldn't happen. It's a mathematical impossibility. Even mathematicians especially, you can get really into the theology of math. There's like equations in our world that just are across everything. The exact same, you know, I call them signatures, like an artist's signature. The same mathematic equations all over different forms of nature. Is this pretty nerdy? Yeah? Okay. Um, that's why I wore my cardigan. <clears throat> so this reminds me of a joke. <clears throat> First time I've ever told a joke from the pulpit. Maybe you've heard this. So there's these scientists that come up to God. My kids have heard this joke. Scientists come up to God, right? Come up to God and they say, God, we are now gods because we can do what you do. We can create man from dirt, right? God says, okay, let's see, do your thing. And so these scientists, they pick up some dirt and God says, no, hold on, wait a second. Go get your own dirt. <laughs> and so... Yeah, I love that joke because it really does point out that everything that happens, even when people say they create something, it's not an original creation in the sense that everything has already existed in some form or another. You know, create dirt, you know. Even our greatest artists, no matter how wonderful they are, they are operating from a creation that already exists from shapes that exist. Think about things like shapes, like emotions, like texture, like color. 
all these things already exist. So when we talk about an artist, someone who has the gift of creativity, all they're doing is rearranging. And a lot of people do it really well. Sound, rearranging what's already been created. The tools they used are created by creation that has already been created. Imagination comes from these crazy, awesome minds that have already been created. In contrast, the word Jesus created from nothing. And so before Jesus could create from all of eternity, just think about starting. If you've ever started to create something or a drawing, the word had to create context. Just think about like time and space. Like let me create some space to create. Let me create this table to create out of. Let me put all this stuff together in a way that's functional, right? It's functional, but it's, it's, it's sustainable. I'm going to create this art it's going to progress and function together and continue together. And hey, why not? Let's just make it like insanely beautiful. It's amazing. Or, or you can believe that we came from space soup. Now, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 also says that there is the unseen or the invisible which is kind of crazy because also just thinking about the fact that we as humans haven't scratched the surface of what's seeable. Just think the bottom of the ocean outside of our own galaxy, right? And now on top of that, we haven't got to the bottom of the ocean, but now we know there's a whole life to things, a whole reality, princes, you know, powers, authorities, all this stuff happening that we don't even have a chance to see. And I don't know, maybe it's me, but like I... I'm usually discomforted by this. Like, this freaks me out. Like, this, my first thought isn't, oh, beautiful. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, what in this room is here that we can't see? Freaks me out. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe it's just fear of the unknown. We are given many details about this. But some of the things we can see that are invisible, which I know, some of the things we can't see that are invisible are things like gravity and magnetism and oxygen, like the natural things, right, that are measurable. But this morning, what I want to look at is what things that are invisible that are most visible in our lives. What things are most visible that are invisible? You guys thinking about that one? <laughs> so I'm talking about the spiritual, the spiritual, so, right? Physical parts to ourselves that have an invisible element. We have a mind, right? A brain weighs about three pounds, gray matter, soft tissue, a heart that weighs a one pound of muscle. These are things that are weighable, that we could see, that, you know, if you've gone to a morgue, you know, you've seen, you can actually look at those. And yet, we will also often have expressions like, I have a heavy heart today. Of course, that doesn't mean that your heart weighs more. It means there's a spiritual element, an invisible element to what the visible world. The Bible uses terms um, heart, mind, you know, um, soul to break down this spiritual reality. And it uses different terms at different times. That's a whole nother, whole nother sermon. And so our physical hearts and minds will break down at some point, right? Our actual physical hearts and minds will break down at some point, but our spirit is going to go on eternally. And we see this in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. 
And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So when our physical self is gone, our spiritual self will continue. But the truth is, before that time, before all this time in the future, hopefully far away for a lot of us, before our physical is gone, we still have this reality that we have a spirit, don't we? Our physical bodies and our spiritual bodies, right? Physical and spiritual today are breaking down, have broke down, right? Or is it just me feeling that this morning? Um, Yeah, you know, we're stressed out, our bodies are aching, and this is the result of sin. So God created everything good, everything is awesome, everything is good. And then when man sinned, it was like throwing a wrench into this beautiful system. You guys ever thrown a wrench into anything? It's not good. Gears? No, it's, it's absolutely horrible. And so the result of this is, is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. So we can live lives of depression, frustration, hurt, anger, loneliness, hopelessness. Which brings me to this last point. And this is the good news, right? This is the good news, is that Jesus is still creating today. Jesus, the artist, is still creating today. Now, there are those who believe that God created everything, but don't believe that he's still creating, right? This is known as the watchmaker theory. Yeah, God created everything, then he walked away. Set it all in motion, and then then he walked away. But yeah, thankfully, no, Jesus is very much alive as an artist and creator today. He's actively repairing his creation today. And if you think about it, what better person to repair something than the person who created it? Right? They know how it's supposed to work. They saw the, they saw the blueprint. Like they've repaired it before. They know exactly what needs to be done. So those of us who are feeling broken, whether it is a reflection of our relationship with God or we're already following God and we're just going through a hard time, which we all are or will be, you know, we have to lean into the fact that Jesus, the creator, is the person to go to. Now, Jesus has an advantage, right? Not only did he create everything so he knows how everything works, you know, when he came to earth, he also lived inside of his creation. He is the perfect person to repair it. He knows what it feels like to be forsaken by God. You know, how many of us feel that way? Like Jesus was forsaken by God. And so why? Why was he forsaken? Because he was on that cross. Why was he on that cross? Because he was restoring and recreating everything that we broke. You see, Jesus, he's you know, omniscient, all-wise, knowing, the creator of this whole system. And he knew. Like, there's a problem. I already know what the problem is. I know exactly where it all went wrong. So when this wrench was thrown into creation to break it, Jesus, he knew, I have to become that wrench. The only way to fix this is to go and become that wrench, right? The thing that broke the whole system. And so when we say Jesus became sin, it's like Jesus saying, I became the wrench that went into all the gears that broke everything. And when that was happened, our problem was removed. Right? Everything that went wrong, our, our relationship with God that was broken, you know, Jesus became that wrench so that everything became smooth with God for us. You know, even eternally, like spiritually, eternally, like we no longer have to fear death, right? 
Now, there will come a time when this body will break down. It will break down. And so we need to lean into the fact that Jesus is our creator and that he's recreating those who believe even today. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Did you hear that? A new creature, a new creation. What does that mean? God is creating today. Jesus is creating today new creatures among, you know, creatures that already exist. And so people who are broken, depressed, you know, are going to die. Now they have this hope. They have this Jesus, you know, who, who not only helps fix you and is making you holy, but sympathizes with you, has sympathy to walk with you because he knows what it feels like. It says in Hebrews 12, 3, I love this verse, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So Jesus took the brunt of humanity, like the force and fierceness of humanity took that and took all the hostility from God at the same time so that we can have peace with God and Jesus can turn around and say, I've been there, I've made peace, let me get you through this. And a lot of us, this is where we are. We're trying to get through something. But we have that hope that we do have peace with God. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus is the creator? Then when we are desperate, we can trust that he knows what we are going through. And that if he allows it, that it's for our good. Because he is good and he has shown us already throughout his word by going to the cross for us how much he cares about us. Do you believe this, that Jesus is actively creating today? And it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. It's hard to trust Jesus. Like, it's easy to say it. But when we have kids that are living lifestyles that we know are just ungodly and dangerous, when our marriages are strained, when our careers seem uncertain, when we don't even know what career we want to do, it's difficult to trust Jesus. Yet he's the person that we need to go to. He's the person that knows what's wrong. He's the person who knows how to fix it. And he's the person who knows what it's going to look like at the end. You know, sometimes he's creating something that we just can't see. And thankfully, I'm so thankful that so often when crisis does come, the thing he's creating is a relationship with himself. When hard times come, Jesus is trying to create a relationship with you where you lean into him and you trust him more so that he can make you more holy because he knows that happiness doesn't equal holiness. The goal isn't for people to be happy. It's for people to be holy. Because if you're holy, then you have joy and peace even on a bad day even in a bad season in your life. Now, I want to end by looking at the analogy of the cross-stitch, which I think I've shared with some of you before. We all know what a cross-stitch is. And so if you've ever been behind a cross-stitch and seen the backside of it, it looks horrible. It's a mess. It's scary. What is going on here? It just looks like yarn exploded, right? There's this nonsensical explosion. And yet from the front... It's like a perfect picture, right? It's art. There's this beautiful art. And so when we come to God today, amidst our chaos, from what we can see in our lives, and we're looking up and we're saying, my life is chaos, 
we have to look to God and have faith that Jesus is the artist, and from his point of view, he sees exactly what he's doing, exactly what is happening in our life. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. As chaotic as it may be, it's for a reason. God is doing something in your life. The best artist of all time is doing something incredible in your life. You're a new creation, and nobody can take that away. Nobody can ever take that away from you. So we have to trust in Jesus, our God and creator. I mean, that's the gospel. Jesus, the creator, is still creating today. And what an amazing artist he is. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.